Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. Hey guys, welcome back to Ladies Who Law School Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Haley. And this week's episode is brought to you by Barcast Audio. So Barcast Audio is a podcast-like audio lesson service that you can purchase um, whether you're studying for the bar or just preparing for finals. They have seven MB subjects to help you prepare for the bar with questions, mnemonics, and just good examples that you can really remember for when you're tested on all those multiple choice. I am already looking to use Barcast Audio for finals in constitutional law. So if you are interested in using Barcast Audio for your finals as well, go to barcastaudio.com and you can get 10% off the seven subject MBE pack with code law at barcastaudio.com. And another word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. So sometimes when you're feeling down, a cup of tea or a nice bubble bath might help clear your mind. But what about when you can't clear your mind or move out of that overwhelming feeling? BetterHelp is there for you. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional counselor. No, it's not a crisis help center. No, it's not a help hotline. It's professional counseling done securely online. Log into your account at any time and message with your counselor or schedule phone calls or even video chats. It's more convenient and more affordable than traditional counseling. So use betterhelp.com slash LWLS. So this week... We have a very special guest. She is someone who used to be a prosecutor and now has her own criminal defense firm. So I feel like a lot of you guys that are entering law school and, you know, you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to be on the state side or the defense side. Like, you can do both and be really successful. Um, And honestly, being on one side or the other and then switching gives you an advantage and a lot of ways. So this is a really good episode for anyone that's interested in criminal law. Exactly what I was going to say. If you're interested in criminal law, this is a must listen. And we can't wait to hear what you guys think about our guests. Please help me welcome our guest, Miss Kristen Halkiotis. So Kristen, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am from Chapel Hill, North Carolina originally, and I work as a criminal defense attorney in Greensboro, North Carolina right now. Awesome. So where'd you go to law school? I went to North Carolina Central University School of Law in Durham, North Carolina. 
So when you were looking at schools, what made you decide to go to this school in particular? So I applied, I took a year off between college and law school. I had originally applied my senior year of college at Rutgers University in New Jersey. And I had only applied to two law schools. I applied to Rutgers and I applied to Carolina and I got waitlisted at both schools. So I took a year off and I worked and I reapplied and I was living home with my mom at the time in Chapel Hill. And I realized, you know, I should really apply because, you know, I'd only applied to two state schools. I knew I wanted to be a prosecutor. I wanted to keep my debt load low, as low as possible, because I knew I wanted, I really wanted to live home with my mom so that I could save all that money. And I realized, you know, Central's in Durham. It's a state school. They crank out really amazing trial attorneys. I should apply there too. So I did, and I got in, and the price was really right. And I was able to to live home and commute every day, which was so wonderful. Um, it was a little trying at the time, but looking back on it, best choice I could have made. And I really was in tune with their philosophy at Central as well. Um, it's a historically black college university, North Carolina Central, and they have um, a big focus and commitment to social justice and to serving underserved populations and communities. And that really spoke to me. It was incredibly diverse and it was just such a wonderful experience um, to, to have that in a law school. Um, I think law school is a special environment anyway. And then you add that on all that diversity um, and there's just such room for growth and learning that happens in a, in a setting like that. And it was really wonderful. I, I would I would choose Central again a hundred times over. So in law school, obviously you loved it um, and you loved your school, but did, what were your biggest accomplishments and also what were your biggest struggles? So I think that the biggest struggle that jumps out at me was law school is where my study habits caught up with me. And I think everybody has a point where that happens. And for some people, that point is in high school. For some people, it might be undergrad. For me, it was the first semester of law school when those grades came out and I looked at them and I got absolutely rocked. And I wasn't expecting it at all because I was thinking, oh, I've got this, no problem. You know, I'll read the case law. I'm going to brief a few cases and I'm just going to cruise like I did in college and get good grades. And I think that first semester, it was like a 2.75. And I don't know that I've ever been so crushed in my life. But it was a wake-up call, and I'm glad it happened that first semester because it let me know that I really needed to, to retune some things. And that was law school is where I learned how to study. And I think law school is special also because it really, I feel like it really rewires your brain. It rewires how you think, it rewires how you argue, it rewires how you react. And it's it's an incredible experience and learning that process, um, this how to study. And how to retain information without just rote memorization. It's really served me well since law school. But that was that was, I'd say, the biggest, the biggest struggle was getting getting used to that. Um, and and realizing, ooh, not gonna not gonna do so well if I keep if I keep uh, trying to dial it in like I did in college. It's just it's just not gonna work. And then I think accomplishment-wise, once I learned how to study, I started doing really well in, in classes. You know, and I wrote on to the law review. I was articles editor of the law review my third year. I was actually certified under the third year practice rule in my state and was trying cases at DA's office. 
um, when I wasn't in class. So that was really, that was really exciting and it was fun. Um, my, <laughs> some of my classmates will still to this day joke about how I used to come to the school in a suit, probably more than I did in jeans. Cause I was always on my way to the DA's office either before or after class. So you talked about the tweaks that you made and how you learned to study. Can you tell us a little bit about that for anyone else who might be in that same situation? Sure. Um, you know, massive amounts of outlining. The outlining was so crucial um, in terms of retention and comprehension, because I think if you're just if you're just memorizing to memorize, you're not really going to retain any of it. You might be able to spit it back for the test, um, but you aren't going to be able to remember it. You know, I don't know for the bar exam. So I think outlining. I had one friend who was a really good study partner my my second and third year of law school, and we also studied for the bar bar exam together. And I think when you have that like study partner, it doesn't necessarily have to be a group because first year I tried to have a group. And it was, it was too many people. Yeah. I think it was just too many people. But when you have one person, you have that accountability partner um, and you can kind of keep each other going. Because I remember, you know, bar exam studying was really intense. We would both get dropped off at the law school uh, because our school didn't offer Barbary back then. So we got dropped off at Carolina every day. We would go to our live lectures in the morning. Then we would bring, we'd eat the lunch that we brought with us. We would do, we established like a pattern of multiple choice questions we do in the afternoons. Then we'd get picked up and uh, go home and have dinner. And then in the evenings, we would reconvene at Starbucks for about, you know, until they closed and then go somewhere else to a mall that had an outdoor area where sometimes we would stay until midnight or one in the morning and then repeat the next day, six days a week. So it was very, very focused. But if I didn't have that accountability partner, um, I don't know that I would have been able to stay the course myself. And I think other things that helped is I didn't have like the, the technology issues that I think people today might have. Our law school actually got remodeled halfway through our time there. And I always joke that if we had had Wi-Fi, <laughs> like, it would have been, it was seriously would have been all over because all I could do on my computer was take notes or else play solitaire. And and so it wasn't like, oh, I've got to check Facebook. And because I, I seriously, it would have, things would have fallen apart. The wheels might've come off if, if we had had Wi-Fi back then, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> those are, those are just some of the, some of the challenges um, and, and ways to get around, you know, and, and there were a couple classes that were horrid challenges and, and, you know, that didn't end so well necessarily in terms of a, of a high grade, but you know, you get through it and you keep your eye on the goal. And, you know, the fact I, I was just proud of the fact that I was able to graduate with honors because um, our school had a wicked, wicked C curve. It was harsh. It was really brutal. We lost a lot of people, especially after the first year, like a lot of people you know, that was kind of the running joke that it was, it was such a brutal curve. You know, people would say, Hey, can we get like an explanation from the deans when we're trying to apply for jobs and things like that for the people who wanted more of like the big firm experience? Um, that was never something that I wanted to do. Uh, but I think having that accountability, find the people that you are close to who can help you kind of realize your goals and your end result. I feel like that's great advice, especially about the study groups. I mean, I feel like 1L, we definitely studied in like a bigger group, kind of like you did, and it didn't really work, you know? And then now we study in much smaller groups and it's so much better and you can just retain it more and just accountability. It's all about accountability, just like you said. So 
And I think there's less resentment too, because, you know, if you're in a larger group, you've got people who are putting in varying degrees of effort. And if you find that one person, like my study partner, she and I just clicked because we would both put out a lot of effort. Um, and we were both very much on that same, on that same track. And so it wasn't like, oh, Bob over here isn't pulling his weight and I'm spending so much energy being angry at him and kind of passive aggressive and resentful. Um, and I feel like I'm pulling him along. Um, it's, it's, yeah, that, that's interesting that you mentioned that too. So I have a question regarding your like internship. You said that you were working at the DA's office while you were in law school. So did that turn into your full-time job upon graduation? And also how did you get your foot in the door at the DA's office and kind of your experience with that? That's a great question. Um, got my foot in the door. Well, when I was in college, I had interned for judges in that district. And this is a district next to uh, the district where I went to school. Um, I had interned for some judges while I was home for the summer in college that were friends. My dad's in, in politics and has been in politics. And so he was able to help me get you know hooked up with that. But like he's always said, you know, I help you get your foot in the door, but you got to keep that door open. And so I made connections while I was interning with the judges. And then, um, you know, I reached out to the DA, who was, well, was also a family friend while I was in law school. And I started interning for him at the end of my 1L year until the next summer when I could get certified to start trying cases under the supervision of the ADAs there. And that did not, so I, I interned there, I'd say for about two and a half years and while that didn't turn into my job that I got on graduation, it helped me get my job because when the, the district where I interned, they didn't have any openings for new prosecutors for our misdemeanor courts um, at the time. And so I had actually sent resumes to pretty much every larger, more urban or suburban DA's office in the state of North Carolina, got an interview in Greensboro and was able to get a job here based partly on the recommendation of the DA that I had interned for for so long. So that connection and him knowing, you know, what my work ethic was, the fact that I was, you know, enjoyed this, that I was good at it. Um, it certainly went a long way to helping me get my first full-time job out of law school. How far is Greensboro from where you went to school? Um, it's about an hour. Okay. So how many DA's offices did you apply to? Was it like 15, 20, or was it like five? I want to say maybe it was about 10. Okay. Maybe we always, 10. Yeah, we always encourage people to, you know, send out their resume and apply to different things. So that's the reason I was asking, but. We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you're currently hooked on Never Lie by Frieda McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. 
It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. It was about 10, I'd say maybe 10 to 15 in North Carolina. I had applied to a couple in New York because I was considering sitting for the New York bar. There was reciprocity. Actually also um, was given an interview at the Miami-Dade County State Attorney's Office, but I ended up turning that down because they required a three-year commitment and I wasn't sure. I was just tentative at that point and they don't have reciprocity with anyone and it, any, any place that doesn't have reciprocity, I was going to, you know, I don't want to take another bar exam. Um, so that, that was just something that was on my horizon. Cause I was like, eh, I don't want to set myself up for a situation where I might want to come back home to North Carolina. I have to sit for another bar exam really was not wanting to do that. So you're currently a criminal defense attorney. You were a prosecutor. So can you tell us about that uh, shift in careers and what's that like? And, you know, do you recommend um, if you're interested in criminal defense, should people go work at the DA's office? Like, what's your take? So I tell people all the time, if you want to be a good criminal defense attorney, there is nothing to prepare you more than being a prosecutor. Because the volume of cases that you're going to have, that you're going to have to try in very short order, especially in misdemeanor court where we have bench trials, not jury trials, you know, I've had as many as up to you know, seven trials in a day because um, you get like five minutes to talk to your victim and then you just go in, you have your trial. doesn't take very long. That's just how our district court works. And you get trial experience in the public defender's office, for example, but the difference is a public defender is not responsible for a whole court docket every day. And so you might have some trials, but you're not going to have as many as if you were a DA. So it's actually, it's very common regardless of jurisdiction or part of the country, to see people go um, work in misdemeanor court as prosecutors for a year or two and then jump into criminal defense. It gives you a really good working knowledge of, of how everything comes together, um, of the process, uh, the mechanics of everything. And it just gives you that feet on the ground um, experience. I think the shift from one side to the other it's been so fascinating to me. I think the biggest challenge is actually getting used to the power shift. And I always knew that as a prosecutor, I had a ridiculous amount of power because that's just how our system is set up. I don't think I fully comprehended just how much power I actually had until I was on the other side and I don't have it anymore. And if I think there is a particular outcome that's fair in a certain case, I don't get to make that plea offer anymore. I have to go talk to a DA or former coworker and um, use my power of persuasion, um, my analysis of the evidence to convince them that that's the right result. And so, and, you know, I tell my clients from the get-go, we have in this, in the way our, our system, it works, we have essentially no power. 
The DA gets to control what's charged. The DA gets to control when those charges are calendared. The DA gets to control generally everything. And so that power shift has been pretty wild. And it's something I still am am getting and wrapping my head around and getting used to. And I've been out about 18 months now with my own firm. But it's it's something that I'm reminded of frequently, uh, very frequently. And, And I don't think my colleagues who have always been defense attorneys probably don't notice it in such a pronounced way because they were never on the other side. But having lived on the other side for so long, it's some days it's really wild. Let's say that. It's it's really wild. And, and I think you learn the art of, of restraint pretty quickly <laughs> because, you know, I think, I think there are certain times where, you know, you just say if, if you're not going to be able to have a productive conversation about anything, you, you can't you can't lose control of your, of your demeanor, of your temper. Um, you just have to maybe table it until a different, a different day um, because you certainly don't want to put any of your clients in a disadvantageous situation by, by being a hothead. So it's, it's really funny because, you know, people, I think also sometimes people think criminal defense attorneys are just jumping up and down and yelling and screaming all the time. And that's really not true. I think you can get the best results for your clients sometimes by the exact opposite. So you have your own firm now. And what made you decide to open up your own firm? It was something that I had thought about um, over the years. And I knew I didn't want to join anybody else's firm. And I, but I was always really worried about um, business. I had never had any business education. didn't take business classes. I don't have an MBA. I don't have an undergrad degree in business. And I kept letting that be my roadblock. And then I had the chance to serve as president of the Junior League of Greensboro, which is a charitable women's organization um, and basically an 800-member corporation that I got to serve as volunteer president and CEO of. And I realized I got a lot of business training and experience doing that. And I realized, you know, QuickBooks isn't that complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, I can, you know, I outsource that anyway to a bookkeeper. Um, there is really nothing that should be holding me back. Um, I don't want to get to the end of the line and, and look back and think, wow, I really should have done that. Or, you know, I wonder if I could have been good. And so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to do this. It could be a colossal disaster or it could be the best thing that's ever happened. And it's been incredibly fantastic. Um, I'm really glad I went ahead and took that chance and, and did it. And I don't have to wonder. And it's, I also wasn't prepared for just how humbling and incredible it is to actually stand next to people when the state is basically coming at them like a freight train. I had spent 15 years practicing law, but not really representing clients, right? Prosecutors, ethical duty is to do justice. Um, whereas a defense attorney, their ethical duty is to zealously represent their clients. And so, you know, people might think that prosecutors represent victims. No, they don't. They may help speak for them. But they don't represent victims and they don't represent police. Um, They may be their primary witnesses, but there's a big difference between being your primary witness and actually representing them. But so to actually stand next to someone who's accused of crimes, um, it's such an honor. And it is such, it's every time I do it, it's such a humbling experience to be able to be someone's beacon of hope in pretty much the darkest time of their life. Um, It is, it is, it's incredible. Um, And it makes you realize if, if you're thinking of doing that, if anybody listening is, is deciding um, or thinking they want to be a criminal defense attorney, I would say 
study hard because someone's life is going to be in your hands one day. Um, I'm currently interning at a criminal defense firm and I totally agree with you, you know, for everyone deserves representation, right? And no matter what they're accused of, they deserve the best representation that they can possibly have. And you, as a lawyer, you have a duty to give that. So I totally agree with that philosophy. And yeah, it's really exciting that you're able to, you know, have your own business now and do what you love and also feel great about what you do and help a lot of people. So I will say my hat is off to the people who open up their own practices very close to when they get out of law school, because for me, it was, it was intense enough to be learning business for the first time. You know, I have the law down pretty well. Um, but, and so it was really just focusing on the business. I cannot even imagine having to kind of be learning both at the same time. Um, I think that is amazing. And anybody who takes on that challenge is, is simply incredible. But I think also, if anybody who's listening to this is thinking, I wonder if I could go ahead and do that or open my own firm, I'd say at some point, you, you really should. You really should. There's no reason not to. So what's your number one tip for law students that want to practice criminal law? So I think the number one tip is going to be find professors at your school who are either currently practicing or who did practice and take all their classes. Um, I had some amazing, one of the favorite things about Central is that pretty much all of the professors were either practicing attorneys or had practiced at some point in their careers. So you weren't getting just folks who've been in the ivory tower their whole career and don't understand how the real world works. They were able to give us, you know, real world examples in my evidence class, criminal procedure, criminal law, and the stories that they would tell to illustrate these concepts, um, were the best, the best things ever. I mean, and I remember them to this day. Um, it really made an impression. There's so much difference between real world application and the concepts that you learn in law school. Um, and if you have professors who can help you bridge that gap, it's invaluable. Also, if your school has a clinical program, by all means, um, we had a really strong clinical program at Central. I actually got school credit for part of my work in the DA's office. And then we also had a classroom clinic component where our professor who had been a prosecutor for 10 years, a defense attorney for 15, she literally went through all the sections of our criminal statutes. We went through them pretty much one by one and discussed them, dissected them, outlined them. I still have that outline now, you know, 18 years later. It, was, it made that much of an impression and taught me that much practical uh, information that I still use every single day. Um, and so really, I think those are the top two things, clinical programs and seek the professors out who have practiced in that area, take their classes, take all their classes, um, because you're going to learn so much more than just, just random concepts for, for memorization. That's great advice because sometimes it does feel like we're learning random concepts <laughs> for memorization purposes, right? Can you, you talked a little bit about the misdemeanor docket and that being bench trials. So can you talk a little bit about your experience doing bench trials versus jury trials and just explain that to everybody? So in North Carolina and you know, a lot of other states too, 
misdemeanor cases are, there's two levels of trial courts. Like, uh, in North Carolina, it's called district court is where misdemeanors are disposed of and superior court is where felonies go to be prosecuted. And in misdemeanor court, district court, um, those trials are all in front of a, a district court judge. And so you don't have to worry about picking juries, nothing like that. They would just subpoena witnesses in and it shows up, you can have a trial or you can plead guilty, you know, what have you. And so those, those bench trials are real easy to put on. It's not like a huge production. Um, we used to have such volume in one of our courtrooms that sometimes our trials were actually stand up. It was almost like Judge Judy. Um, it's kind of wild. And so the defendant would be like, all right, you know, I'd call a case. All right, come on down, Mr. Jones. Time, time for your trial. And the lawyer would come out. You know, I'd have my witness there. She'd come stand next to me or he'd come stand next to me. The defendant's standing over there next to his lawyer. And it was literally, you know, tell the judge what happened, especially, you know, in situations where you have civilian generated warrants here in North Carolina, law enforcement can take out a warrant or um, just any old citizen can go to the magistrate, give probable cause by, you know, just taking an oath on the Bible that this is true. Um, they can't take out felonies though. You can only take out a misdemeanor if you're, if you're a civilian, um, that whole practice, that's a lot to unpack. That's a whole other conversation for another day, but, um, <laughs> because it can get a little bit wild. I know wild. I'm over here like, what? And so it's almost like the people's court when it actually comes to court for prosecution. And so, you know, as a prosecutor, those were the cases where you could get in like six or seven trials a day. Cause the trials yeah. take like 15 minutes really. It's like, tell the judge what happened. Like, Oh, I saw him like slash my tire or whatever. You know? Okay. Um, it, it's, it was, it was a little bit wild. Um, and so those are all in front of, in front of judges. And then of course you have the more, the ones that do take a while. You know, I had, I, over the years, I had a couple of two day district court trials, um, for more serious things like assaults on a female or sexual battery, um, you know, driving while impaired, or they're also very, you know, very technical, um, you know, sort of a little bit lengthier trials. And then of course with felonies in superior court, or if a misdemeanor conviction is appealed, it goes up to Superior Court for a jury trial de novo, which means a new trial. And that's where you know, your jury trial rights kick in. We kind of joke that's where all the constitutional rights kick in. Um, we always joke, you know, the Constitution eh, doesn't really apply in district court because you don't necessarily, you know, you don't, you're not getting a jury trial, all of that. Of course, you have your de novo appeal, and that's course, where you get course. the jury trial rights kick in. So, you know, then you have the jury trials and that's where the real, that's where the real fun is. So I pretty much worked in district court for three years. Um, and to give you an idea of that volume, I'm pretty much amassed about over 300 jury, uh, bench trials, um, just because they're, many. They, they happen very frequently. Yeah. <laughs> and I spent a year of that time as like the DV, like the um, dedicated DV prosecutor. So I was like prosecuting a lot of domestic violence cases. So very frequent trials. And um Jury trials are a little, you know, they don't happen as frequently. They you know, generally every term of court, but um, definitely not the volume, not the same volume, because, you know, I'd say probably 96, 97% of our cases resolved by plea arrangement. You know, if, if that weren't the case, the system would be so overwhelmed and, and backlogged, especially, and it is sort of now because of the shutdowns and slowdowns we've had for the last year because of COVID. But jury trials are back here right now. Um, so we're, we're all learning this new normal. Um, with all the COVID precautions and things like that. But, you know, with jury trials, generally, you know, multi-day, um, they're going to be more drawn out, but it's, it's, I don't know. They're just, they're just fun to do. Absolutely. So is it the time that is served that separates a misdemeanor from a felony in North Carolina or? 
Yeah. So generally misdemeanors in North Carolina, the punishment goes up to 150 days um, or like five months. That's, That's the most you can get on a class A1 misdemeanor in North Carolina. And then felonies kick in, I believe the uh, minimum on a mitigated sentence is like uh, four months, but generally, but but they are all punishable by at least a year in prison or more. I can't believe you did 300 bench trials. Like that's crazy. That's awesome. Just a quick like question for anyone interested interested in just trial work in general, do you have like a tip for that? Like, should they be joining moot court or mock trial or what, what if they can't join those things? What else can they do? Yeah. So I didn't join moot court or mock trial because I got my third year practice certification and I was trying real cases in district court at the DA's office. And I was having so much fun with that. And I was like, these are, these are real trials and I'm learning, um, you know, how to try real cases. And that was really cool because when I started my real job after law school, I remember a couple of district court judges saying, oh, wow, you already know how to try DWIs. And I was like, yeah, I did that on my internship. And it was cool because I got to work the kinks out while I was interning. And then I start this job and people are like, oh, she knows how to try everything in district court. That's really cool. Um, so that was just another advantage that that internship gave me. I would also say, go sit in court and watch lawyers. I still do that. If there's a trial going on at the courthouse and I've finished up my business for the morning and I don't have appointments till the afternoon, I'll go and watch, I'll go and watch my colleagues in trial. I like to scope out certain DAs um, because when I was a coworker of theirs, I never really went to watch them in court. Um, so I like to see their styles. And I also like to learn from colleagues um, on the defense side as well. You never know who has a great technique. You never know who has um you know, who who has uh, something that you haven't thought of necessarily. And it's really neat to watch openings, closings, um, different styles people have for, you know, direct or cross-examination. And if it's something that you like and works for you, borrow it and try it. That's the beautiful thing about being a trial lawyer is you can you can kind of try pretty much anything, (laughs) figure out what works for you. It's all about kind of establishing your style and also, you know, people in the courtroom are going to be watching you and that's how your reputation grows as well. And if they say, wow, she's really confident, she knows how to try a case, you know, that that just that pays off so well. And, you know, you really never know who's watching. If you're a defense attorney, you know, you have potential clients, that whole courtroom or potential clients for you. Um, if you're a prosecutor, you never know who is watching, who might say, hey, think about ever coming to work on the other side and, and joining my firm. Um, but you're building this reputation and you're building these relationships with everybody else at the courthouse, which is so important. And I think that's why I've been able to successfully transition from one side to the other is because all the relationships I built over 15 years as a prosecutor, I didn't just discard them. Um, you know, relationships with bailiffs, clerks, judges, law enforcement, um, those are all relationships that are transferable. And just because I'm on the other side now, I still have good, strong relationships with all these people. Um, And so it's not the job necessarily that we do that's important. It's the relationships that we create uh, because that's what allow us to move seamlessly from from one job to another, from one side of the aisle to another too. Okay, so how has being a board specialist, board certified specialist in um, criminal law helped you? And what is that exactly? And how do you go about getting that? Sure. So a lot of states offer it. I'm not sure how many North Carolina obviously does, 
And what it is, the, the board certified specialist designation um, is something that's offered through the state bar, their board of legal specialization. And to qualify to take the exam, um, each of the practice areas are different, but for criminal law, you know, they require that for the previous five years, you spend a certain percentage of your time practicing in that practice area that you've completed um, continuing legal education classes above in that area, above and beyond what the regular requirements are that you have to submit. I believe it's between eight to 10 peer references that they will check and they'll actually send um, forms out similar to how they'll send forms to people for references for the bar exam. It's very, the application process is actually very similar to the bar exam. And so they will vet you. For criminal law, we also had to write a list of our last eight jury trials, the date they happened, uh, the presiding judge, and opposing counsel. And I think they kind of vet you with all of those people too. And then you send in your application. And then they decide they might not let you take the exam because I know people who've applied and they have not been allowed to take it. Um, and so once they, they vet you and you pay your money and all that, then you get to sit for the exam, which is a six-hour full-day exam, um, three hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon. <laughs> and <laughs> it's really funny. I joke. It's like they're clearly hazing you on the bar exam because that's where there's like proctors in the bathroom being like, don't, you know, don't do anything. <laughs> we're watching, we're watching you. And, and the whole thing is designed to be as unpleasant as possible. But when I went to take the specialization exam, I go to like the state bar offices in downtown Raleigh. It's this gorgeous building. You walk in, it's a small room. They're like, oh, there's refreshments outside and help yourself to coffee and drinks. And I'm like, okay. So I mean, you know, you're part of the club now. And so there, yeah. you know, this is a nice <laughs> little setup, but I will say that exam was actually harder than the bar exam. Um, I studied just about as hard for it. I pretty much made flashcards of every criminal statute that exists in North Carolina. Um, went back and read. I mean, it was the case law was voluminous that I read. Um, and so it was pretty much like a whole entire bar exam, just about state criminal law. Yeah. And I have never in my life still been writing, not even on the bar exam, never still been writing when they call time. If I, I prefer to handwrite my exams. And the woman actually said to me, she's like, sweetie, you, you need to put your pen down now. And I was like, oh, um, it was, it was, it caused me some angst. Um, but I, I did pass it. And I was, I did that when I was still a DA, it was in 2014. And it was really just a personal goal for myself it was just a benchmark that I wanted to hit for myself. I wasn't going to get a raise, nothing, you know, no one, no one was going to throw me a party. Um, it was just really for me. And I'm really glad I did it um, just as a way also at that point to show victims, you know, hey, there's some good defense attorneys who might have this designation just because you're dealing with, with an assistant DA. Look, I have that designation as well. Um, and also, I'm so glad I did it now that I went out into private practice because it was an instant way to differentiate myself. Um, as I stepped out and had to market myself for the first time, because that's been, you know, that's been new to me for the last 18 months. I never had to market myself before. Um, so and it was also an incredibly good review of all the statutes, um, even the ones that I don't use as much. Um, it was a fantastic review for that. Um, so I think I, I would do it again, even I mean, that that exam was a little traumatic, but um, <laughs> it definitely paid off. And I'm glad I did it. It was a good challenge. Um, and a good triumph. Awesome. I wonder if they have one here. Do you know? I know. I'm, we're going to do some research after and we'll have to figure out. Yeah, I, know, I know Texas, I know Texas has one. 
Well, that's one of the places that we've been looking to go to. So (laughs) maybe we'll have to start studying for that. (laughs) Um, So when you're not in the courtroom or working, what do you like to do in your free time? Sure. Um, I really love, um, well, I love hanging out with my dog. He, we do a little bit of pet influencing and like brand work and things like that. that. And yeah, (laughs) he's sort of, he's an Instagram star. Um, it's a fun little non-legal, you know, related thing that I do. What's his username? Yeah. Tell us. His his Instagram handle is Churchilly. So Churchill with a Y on the end. That was my old dog's name. Um, but he's, he's a nut. He's, he's fun. Um, I also am a complete Peloton addict. Um, can't get enough. Um, and I actually had bought the bike for myself. It was like May of 2019. So that purchase came in handy, um, especially through the pandemic. Um, and so I, and I love just spending time with friends and reading and knitting and just, enjoying my life. Um, I do, honestly, I probably work more now, but it feels like I work less. Um, as, as weird as that is, I think there's something about working for yourself, um, that I didn't understand until I was actually working for myself, but I find it very therapeutic too. Um, and I also love teaching CLE. I teach a lot of CLE to both like ethics classes for new attorneys um, as well as more advanced topics for seasoned attorneys. And I really, really enjoy that. That's awesome. Well, we love to cycle and we use the Peloton app as well. So we will have to add you. What's your uh, username? So my leaderboard name for Peloton is Crazy Corgi Lawyer. So C-R-Z-Y Corgi Lawyer. And my Instagram handle is C-S-H Law P-L-L-C, if anyone's inclined to follow it. Perfect. Perfect. And can you also plug your website just in case anyone wants to check you out? Sure. CSHLawPLLC.com. Perfect. Well, it was so nice speaking with you and learning about you. I mean, we've been seeing you on social media for a while and we're like, always like, okay, we need to interview her. We need to interview her. And we finally did. And we are so happy that we did. Yes. So happy. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for finding me relevant enough still to have me on your podcast, which is marketed towards ladies in law school. Wow. Once again, a really strong, independent woman literally opening up their own firm. Exactly what I want to do in my life. She is such a star. And I love that. She is such a hard worker and she's so inspiring, right? I mean, you don't see a lot of women in criminal law and the fact that she so zealously advocates for her clients. She was very candid in this interview and I really appreciated that. So I hope you guys get a chance to truly understand what the opportunities may be like in criminal law and reach out to her because if you were like me and you wanted to go to law school to do criminal law, you might be wondering what that's like and what it's like to be a lady lawyer in that area of law. So she's on Instagram. She's super responsive. She's such a nice lady. Um, She's also, we love the fact that she rides the Peloton. We already all added each other. Um, So if you guys also have the Peloton app, let us know so we can add you as well. Yes. Our usernames will be in the show notes if you want to add us. We are 
trying to, you know, get fit for the summer and just for, you know, mental health. (laughs) So we've been using my not Peloton spin bike. If you want more info on what spin bike I got, you can just DM me on um, Ladies Who Law School or my personal and I'll give you all the deets on the spin bike. Trust me, it's worth it if you do not want to buy a $2,500 Peloton. Um, So this is a great option. Also, I just want to side note about like what Kristen, uh, you know, criminal law and all that. Currently I'm at a criminal law, um, defense firm. And I can definitely say that at least in Oklahoma, from what I've seen, there's like no woman on the criminal defense side, you know, like I've been in court and I don't see any women but myself and like, you know, defendants. So, you know, we need more women out there. If you're interested in criminal, like I said, share this episode with all your law school friends who are interested in criminal law, because we definitely need more women out there. So just going to say that. All right, guys. Well, you know where to find us. If you're interested, please join our Facebook group, the LWLS, the community. You can also find us on Instagram and you can slide in those DMs if you ever have any questions for us. All right. Have a safe rest of the week and stay healthy and wash your hands. And yeah, bye. Bye, guys. Bye.